Well, recently I've been learning a little bit of archery, as has Angel, took our first uh, lesson Saturday. Archery is one of those things that people look at and think like, I could do that. It looks pretty easy, but it's always a little bit harder when you actually try and do it. Hitting that bullseye is not always so easy, but it is very satisfying when you hit a bullseye. I think perhaps the only thing more satisfying would be hit a moving target that takes a lot of skill and some brain power to really nail the trajectory of the arrow and your target at the same time to hit a moving target. It's pretty satisfying, but I think that pinnacle of archery marksmanship would be to hit a moving target while moving. I don't think I will ever do that, but many ancient civilizations were known for their mounted archers. They rode on horseback into battle. They maneuvered around the enemy. They stayed out of reach of their swords, and they kind of picked them off with their bow and arrow from a, from a distance. But just in general, though, to be moving, even on a bouncing horse, but to still hit a target takes a lot of skill. I'm not exactly sure why, but that thought popped in my mind as an analogy for parenting. We've been studying biblical parenting for several weeks now, and one thing we have learned is that parenting is a skill position. Anyone can become a parent, but to be a good, faithful, godly parent takes diligence, effort, knowledge, wisdom, care, and skill. And we've been trying to grow in all these categories throughout our studies But even as you grow in your parenting skill, what makes all this harder is that you're up against a moving target, namely your children. I don't mean that just physically, although that's true as well, but developmentally, they're always growing and therefore always changing. With each passing stage, their bodies change, their mind changes, their behavior changes, the preferences change. You name it, it's going to change. And that makes everything we've learned about parenting that much harder. You can't truly have a one-size-fits-all approach. How you parent a toddler is, in many respects, going to be very different from how you parent a teenager. Not everything changes. For example, our mission doesn't change, which we established was to glorify God by being faithful to raise up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord directed at the heart. That doesn't change. But how you implement that mission changes in each developmental stage. To make matters even more challenging is that not only are your kids a moving target, but you yourself, as a parent, are moving. Not only are they constantly moving and growing and changing, but so are you. Parenting changes you. Life changes you continually. We may no longer be undergoing a huge physical transformation like our children, but we are still always acting and reacting to our changing environment and circumstances, relationships as well. And sometimes we, as parents, might change for the better. Sometimes we might change for the worse. We can sink into a rut of laziness or anger or selfishness or despair. That is on us as parents. You're the parent. You're the adult. You're the Christian. Hopefully, you are seeking the Lord and letting parenting be a time of of refinement and spiritual growth for you. Hopefully, you as the parent are not the one contributing the lion's share of drama and conflict in the household. I mean, if the shepherd is out of control, then the sheep are going to be in pretty big trouble. One of the best things you can do to grow as a parent is simply to grow as a Christian and to get your spiritual life in order. But when it comes to your children, though, and all the changes they will go through, one thing that really helps is is just to understand their changes and how to respond accordingly in your parenting. 
as the target jumps up high or sinks down low? How do you adjust your aim? Can you be prepared to aim accordingly? A lot of parenting issues will just come at you as a surprise. There's not much you can do to prepare for them. But if you get a basic handle on the different stages of child growth and development, physically and even spiritually, if you can be prepared to adjust your parenting accordingly, then you'll just have a much greater chance of hitting your target, so to speak, and just shepherding your children well. And that's what I want to help you with in our lesson for tonight. And tonight, I want to help you think through the different stages of childhood from the perspective of the child and the parent, how we respond. And as we understand what our children are like in each of these different stages, we can then think about how to wisely and how best to reach them according to our mission. What does discipline look like throughout the different stages of your child's life? In what ways does instruction change or take a different shape as they age and progress? What type of relationship should you have with them as they get older? I want to explore these issues tonight and try and find some, some help and some guidance. Now, with my teaching typically and throughout all these lessons, I, I like to create my own notes, my own lesson from my own Bible study and, and apply it to the topic. But on this lesson, I'm going to lean a little more heavily on a resource, just a, a helpful outline. Uh, I've referenced a few times, Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. It's quickly become, I think, a modern classic. It's guided us well so far. Our oldest child turns nine in a week. So I can speak from observation on the later stages of childhood development, but not quite from experience on the parenting end. I feel like we have early childhood parenting down cold, but, and I think I have a great awareness of what to expect for those teenage years, but I think we'll be aided by importing some wisdom from godly parents who have lived it and faithfully finished the course when it comes to parenting children through older teenage years. So we'll import some wisdom here as well to help round out this picture of how to shepherd children and parent them through the different stages of their development. And I'll be picking on Ted Tripp's three, he just broke it down into three categories, which is broad enough, but manageable enough for our time. And we'll start with infancy to childhood, the zero to five-year-old range. It's a broad, it's a broad range, but nonetheless, that the zero to five infancy to childhood stage is the first stage of parenting. And begin, let me cover changes in your children during this stage, just very briefly, but a quick little survey of some of the changes your children will undergo. Now, it's a lot. Obviously, in all of human life, there's no greater time of change than zero to five. I mean, it's a vast time of profound development, growth, and a long list of changes. There's physical changes, their body's growing, their muscles are developing, their, their brain is developing, they're gaining mobility. They go from completely stationary, you don't have to worry about them moving, to rolling, to crawling, to walking, to becoming just a constant liability and getting hurt. Intellectually, they're changing, their brain is developing, they're starting to learn the English language, they're talking, they're learning some grammar, they're communicating, they're learning to interpret and respond to the world around them. Spiritually, they're changing. As they respond to the world around them, they're growing in a sense of identity. They have their own likes and dislikes and desires. Their sin nature quickly finds expression when their wants are not met. And that heart of rebellion quickly comes out. And then relationally, they're changing. At first, their world, their environment consists of one person, mom. Dads eventually get in there as number two. 
and are recognized later on than siblings and close family members, a few friends. But immediately, uh, or rather, the immediate family dominates their relationships in this time frame. Uh, they, they have a little, little understanding of their place in the bigger world outside their home. By no means a, an exhaustive list. It could take forever, but uh, there's just some of the vast changes children go through in the zero to five range. Let's talk, though, about changes in your training objectives during this stage. And not really changes, because this is where we're beginning. So where, where you start off with your training objectives in the zero to five-year-old range. What are we trying to accomplish in this first stage? What do you want to see in them by the end of this stage, when they're five, when they're turning six? Yeah, I know you want a little theologian who knows everything and is a believer. Practically, what are you aiming at? And you can boil it down pretty simple in a way they can understand as well, and it's simply Ephesians 6, 3. This is what and that they would be able to, in a basic sense, what we have. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, that you may live long on the earth. Not perfectly, but by the end of the stage, I think my mic is going down too. By the end of the stage, we, we want to see them generally honoring and obeying their parents without it being World War III. We want to see that wild, rebellious, self-willed spirit that they come programmed with in a way broken and replaced with a, a calm, obedient, respectful spirit. Again, not perfectly, but in this early stage, you as a parent are trying to establish your God-given authority over them, which is for their good, and you're trying to get them to see themselves under that authority, rendering you honor and obedience, which is, again, for their good. It's also up to you to teach them about God as their creator, as the ultimate authority over all of us, his creatures. You're helping them see their place in this world. At all who enter this world enter as children. God puts us immediately under the care of our parents, and he's delegated some of his authority to them. We owe God our obedience at all times, but when you're, when you're born into this world, your obedience to God comes through your obedience to your parents. And so already you need to be helping them see themselves in relation to God, not just in relation to mom and dad, but to God as their creator. Mom and dad physically brought them into this world, but God is their ultimate creator. I believe it was in lesson three that we established the dynamic of biblical parenting, namely you are the parents, they are the children. That sounds obvious, but all too many families see a functional role reversal where the chicks are ruling the roost and calling the shots. But in this first stage, your, your basic goal is simply to establish this biblical dynamic that you are the God-given authority over their lives to care for them, to protect them for their good. They, in turn, are called to honor and obey you in all things. You will instruct them accordingly and discipline them when they don't. You can go back to get lesson three to, to cover the rest there. So that your basic goal throughout this stage, that they, they come to render honor and obedience under your authority. Let's talk now about changes in your parenting tasks during this stage. Changes in your parenting tasks. And again, not really changes because this is the starting point where you're beginning, but you get the drift. What does your instruction and discipline look like in this earliest stage, in the first stage? 
These are our two main parenting tasks. We know not all of parenting is summarized by instruction and discipline. There's more that goes into it. But we've picked up on these per Ephesians 6, 4 as the two main positive tasks. So we're going to keep rolling with them. How do these take shape in this first developmental stage? The essence of these two tasks, discipline and instruction, we covered at length in lessons four and five. They each got their whole full lesson. And and a lot of what we covered there would directly apply to this first stage. But to be a little more specific, we can add some things. Beginning with instruction. What does instruction look like in this first stage? Obviously, we're assuming you're, you're doing your own thing to teach them the alphabet, teach them how to count. That That's a given. But in particular, spiritually speaking, especially in that three, four, five-year-old range, you're really ramping up teaching them about God. They can start learning, communicating. You're going to use that earliest opportunity to tell them about uh, not just the world around them, but the one who made the world around them. You start reading them the Bible, going through a children's Bible, tell them about God. They are sponges, eager to learn, and so fill them up. Repetition is the key. Just repeatedly tell them about who God is, what he has done, the world he has made, who they are, the good news of Christ, and just repeat it over and over again. It doesn't matter if they can't perfectly repeat to you most of what you tell them. Just be faithful. Keep at it to repeat and repeat the truths of God and his word. Persist in biblical instruction. You're also going to teach them about themselves. They don't know why they do what they do. They they lack understanding and, and sense. They often operate blindly, just controlled by their little passions and desires. But in conjunction with correction, you're going to instruct them about themselves and their sin, their sin nature. You want to start exposing them to this, this force of sin that resides within them that leads them to disobey, for example. That mom and dad don't make them do anything. They're already making little choices that reflect their inner nature. And so you're going to start already build in them the need for help outside of themselves, need for the Lord to make them new. But overall, you're just laying a solid foundational layer of biblical instruction during this stage. In addition, uh, going back to our main training objective during this stage, we're going to focus a lot of our instruction on just obedience training. We're instructing them how to obey. They need to learn that the way of the wicked is hard, but that obedience brings blessing and peace. This instruction is going to partly come through words. You can already expose them as they get a little bit older to, for example, Psalm Psalm chapter 1 and and the two ways presented, the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. But especially in this early stage, as their minds are developing, they can only understand so much. They're not going to get very deep in understanding. You can use words, but... A lot of your instruction, especially when it comes to obedience training per our first objective, is going to come through action, namely discipline. And so we can talk now about discipline and what discipline looks like in this first stage. And, and here, you know, pretty much everything we learned about discipline in Lesson 5 would apply to this first stage. Use of the rod or corporal punishment in Scripture is something we would apply most definitely to this age group, you know, for this age group, such discipline is really the bread and butter of your correction. They, they don't quite have the full intellect to all the way respond to appeal and to reason. 
And other methods are ineffective at associating a sting with sin. There's just nothing like the use of the rod, so to speak, or corporal punishment to do just that. Which, again, it's meant to correct them and show them already the negative effects of sin and disobedience. It's worth repeating that discipline in this stage, and really in all stages, it's not meant to be punitive but corrective. We're not spanking them to do something to them but to do something for them. We're trying to, to show them something. It's something that God tells us to do to rescue them. We're rescuing them from their own sinful desires, which are growing and developing, threatening to overtake them and eventually harden them. Uh, but discipline uh, puts a stop to that process and really helps. For children who are allowed to live in rebellion, defiance, and disobedience, where they're never corrected, they're never dis- disciplined, the soil of their heart just gets compacted and hardened, where they become less and less responsive to the things of the Lord. Their behavior will only get worse, and they will be insensitive to uh, instruction. Never being convicted and broken over their sin, those kids will later have no need for the gospel. Never being humbled over their depravity, they, they don't want to turn from their sin and follow this Jesus figure. They love their sin. But the parent who is faithful and consistent in applying the rod to discipline the rebellious children is effectively weeding and tilling and turning over the soil of their heart, keeping it fresh and prepared and ready to receive the seed of the word implanted. And we can't save them, but God tells us to do quite a lot to to do that work in the layer of their hearts to prepare them to receive the word and discipline as a huge function there. You're quieting their hearts. You're softening their rebellion. You're preparing them to listen to you and heed all of your instruction in the years to come. Now, at this point, it doesn't quite serve us to to keep going and repeat everything we said about discipline from Lesson 5. You can get that if you weren't here. But at this point, we're still in the the early stage, 0 to 5. This is a good point, though, to address some questions that came up. Some of you did go ahead and and contact me with some questions, and this is a good place to insert some answers because they're age-specific. And so there's a few that relate to this 0 to 5-year-old age so we'll cover here, a little bonus, some, some questions some of you have asked about uh, childhood training. Uh, first question was, what is a spanking issue? What is a spanking issue? It's something we didn't mention, but since it's asked again, we can repeat that spanking, the use of corporal punishment, is going to be reserved for disobedience, defiance, rebellion. This person asked, though, more so because they were having trouble discerning between Defiance and childishness in the early ages. And that, indeed, can sometimes be hard to tell. We did make the point that we're not going to discipline like this for childishness. They come programmed as fools, according to Proverbs. And a lot of that is bound up in just childish behavior because they don't know better. They don't know the world. They don't know the dangers of the world. They don't know what's appropriate or inappropriate. We will patiently instruct them for those things and Remind them, teach them, but not discipline them. We want to be careful to use corporal punishment and corporal discipline uh, only for those acts of rebellion, defiance, uh, where we want to associate a sting with that type of sin. So, for example, you might have some older kids already, and they already know 
for example, your house rules, and they are obedient, they're compliant. They know what you expect of them. They know what you don't want them to do. For example, after coming in the house from playing outside, you've let them all know you expect them to take off their shoes and wash their hands so they're not leaving trails of dirt everywhere. And they do so. They do so obediently. Your older kids know this. They obey this. But you also have a toddler who you've told this to him several times, but invariably he just storms in the house with his shoes on, hands all muddy, and just runs around. And that might seem like defiance, but you do have to stop with that early age and question, like, is it though, really? You have to carefully discern. It might be. It might not be. Is he truly old enough to remember your long list of rules all the time? Is he always calling them to mind? Does he really know in the moment that he's rebelling? Or is he just kind of so worked up in excitement, chasing after the other kids that he just hasn't thought about it? He lacks sense. For a toddler or a little one, yes, that would technically be disobedience, but it sounds like it's more chalked up for to a childishness than a true defiance, but that's something you'll have to carefully discern and just be careful and, and uh, right. As they get older, you would, of course, start expecting them to remember the things you have told them to do, but just make sure, as a, as a bottom line at this stage, that you're carefully discerning if their behavior is actual rebellion and defiance to your will or God's will or just childishness because we would spank for one and not for the other. A second question came up. How do you handle children whining and making excuses in their obedience? They'll they'll do what you say. They kind of make you pay for it with a whining spirit or just delaying, making excuses. Here we can similarly recall what we discussed about children rendering to their parents not just obedience but also honor our standard of obedience from our kids that we established in an earlier lesson is that we expect them to obey us the first time, every time, with a happy heart. That kind of qualifies the nature of, of biblical obedience. What God expects of us what we expect of our children. They obey the first time we ask, every time with a happy heart. You may have a child who obeys eventually. They'll do what you ask them to do eventually. But if they whine, make excuses, or delay... They are expressing a heart of rebellion. That inner heart attitude is actually worse than their behavior, and it must be addressed. They have dishonored you, which biblically means they have dishonored God. They have violated Ephesians 6.4. And so at this stage, that would most definitely merit a spank. Beyond the actual act of obedience, that heart attitude, that dishonor, is just as worthy of discipline as the act of actual disobedience. In fact, at this stage, you should be applying an extra special diligence in disciplining attitude problems. Because look, if you can win their attitude, if you can quiet their soul and win their attitude, you will win their behavior. As we learn from the Lord himself, all of our words and deeds proceed from within, from the heart. When your children whine, complain, throw a temper, when they make excuses or delay in obeying you, They're giving you a little window into their heart's rebellion. That is something you need to deal with. And listen, how children speak to their parents, kind of like a related aside, how children speak to their parents, how they respond to their parents, how they regard their parents is a huge deal. You, You don't want to tolerate or foster 
disrespect. You don't want children who yell at their parents, demand, push, moan, complain, or whine. They do that because they're only thinking about what they want. They're not getting what they want, but they've learned they can potentially manipulate you enough to get what they want. If they do these things, if they whine, complain, moan, if they outlast you, they'll get what they want because you let them. If you just give in to their disrespect and dishonor, if you never address it, if you don't discipline them for it, you are effectively training them to do this. Do you realize that? You're, you're always training your children one way or another, for better or for worse. You may do nothing as a parent when they dishonor you. You never respond to their attitude problem. But that is still training. By doing nothing, you are still training them. You're just training them that honoring father and mother doesn't matter, that respecting authority doesn't matter, that the only way you get things in this world is by putting up a fuss or with a demanding, disrespectful attitude. You're training them either way. You might as well train them otherwise to always show honor, respect, and gentleness, and promptness in their obedience. The third question here, before we move on to the next age group, what about timeouts or other disciplinary methods? What about timeouts or other disciplinary methods? We're still talking zero to five-year-olds. The New Testament has told us, as we've learned, to discipline our children. That discipline, that word for discipline, can take many forms, yes. In the New Testament, discipline is never exclusively tied to spanking the rod or corporal punishment. New Testament actually does not explicitly tell us how to implement this correction or discipline. That connection is made clearly in the book of Proverbs, though, but that makes this a wisdom issue as the book of Proverbs is God's wisdom literature. It's not always going to be black and white, but we do have God's sound wisdom on the issue. And therefore, I believe God in his wisdom has given us by far the most effective means of disciplining young children in corporal punishment or spanking. Again, you can reference all of lessons, Lesson 5 on that. Other forms of discipline are not sinful, per se, or not wrong, per se, but I do believe they're far less effective especially during this earliest stage of childhood. You really have to question then, do you know better than God? Or is your wisdom greater than God's? Because in his book of wisdom, this is what he has told us to do to correct our children. A timeout, for example, I think does very little to associate any real sting with sin. You can make them sit in a corner, but with their short attention spans, after a couple minutes, they've, they've forgotten why they're there. They're just looking at patterns on the wall. You can send them to their room, but they'll learn that the consequence for rebellion is just some like alone playtime in the room. It's not so bad. Look, if you've got older kids, having them sit quietly and think about their sin can have some wisdom to it. But at this young age, nothing communicates the consequences of rebellion like just a spank. What other forms of discipline would you really use? Bribery, deprivation, where you would just give them things or take away things to manipulate their behavior and, and make them conform. I hope you see the huge problems with those methods. And primarily, you're feeding their selfish interests, which is like the last thing we want to be feeding right now. You're feeding the idols of their heart. You're breeding materialism and greed in their heart already. 
In fact, going, you're going to end up training them to be more selfish and self-centered, where they only do something, they only do the right thing when there's something in it for them, either gaining something or not losing something. That's a huge problem. They never honor and obey simply because it pleases the Lord and it's the right thing to do, but because they're manipulated, they will get something out of it or not lose something out of it. And the second problem is as they get older, that's how you train your kids and they become teens. You're eventually going to hit this moment of rebellion when you have nothing left to take away from them. They don't care anymore. You can take away everything. It won't stop the rebellion. They'll go too far or there's nothing left you can bribe them with. They just won't care. You never established actual parental authority. So your word doesn't really matter to them. And bribery and deprivation have lost their effect. You no longer can reach them whatsoever with correction. You don't want to get to that point. You don't want to hit that wall and be completely helpless to direct them. I will simply say for the zero to five-year-old range, uh, at least in in my opinion of wisdom, don't give up on on spanking and the corporate use or the corporal use of uh, punishment as the book of Proverbs has instructed us. Overall in this age, consistency is king. With everything from instruction to discipline, you just have to repeat and persist over and over again. You really have to commit to the long haul. And it's, it's not that long. I mean, we're talking two to three years of intense training, of intense discipline, intense instruction. You will, though, start to see those little shoots form and the little fruits setting on the tree. They will start yielding some of that peaceful fruit of righteousness. You have to outlast their will. You have to show them that the way of the wicked is hard. That that will be that way for the rest of their life if they choose that way, even unto eternity. But the way of the Lord, the way of their parents is good, and it's better. It leads to life, joy, peace, blessing. That's found in willingly coming under the authority of mom and dad. You have to hold that line and persist. You have to outlast their will, their desires. You are the parent. They are the children. But before you know it, you will start seeing some of that that peaceful fruit of righteousness. Well, we need to move on to the second stage of development here. As we're just reflecting this evening on how we parent and apply everything we've learned so far, all the principles, all the Bible study we've learned so far, actually applying it to children. But how that changes, though, as they grow and, and come to different ages. Secondly now is childhood, which is a big stage. We're going to call it 6 to 12. The elementary years, childhood. Some of those, I think, precious memory years. It's a key time in development and training and parenting. And I'll tell you what, the teenagers you get, the teenagers you wind up with, they didn't just come out of nowhere. They came out of here. They came out of this age, the the elementary years. They were developed. They were shaped by these years. And they had many shaping influences, but parents at this stage are always the number one shaping influence. Again, we'll say for better or for worse. But let's just understand this this next stage, basic childhood stage, that we can parent them for the better and seek to get it right. Let's kind of same outline, changes in your children during this stage. Let's first talk about, very brief, but some of the changes to expect in your children during this stage. Not quite as rapid as that zero to five, but they're still growing a lot. 
So physically, they're changing, their body is growing, they're, they're losing teeth, they're getting bigger ones, usually crooked. Their faces are forming, you get a little glimpse of what they might look like as an adult. They're active, they still need rest. Intellectually, they're changing. All, all the lights seem to have finally turned on in their mind. They're constantly learning. Even when not at school, they're learning how to relate to you and the enlarge, enlarging world around them. They're paying attention more, especially to you and your example. Spiritually, they're changing. They're emerging from that pure childishness. But on the flip side, real sin patterns are forming. Not all children wrestle with the same sin issues, but they all got something just like us adults. But as their inner desires grow, so do their sins. They're, they're thinking their own thoughts now. Relationally, they change. Huge changes as they're exposed to the bigger world outside their home. This new category of peer or friend becomes a huge deal and a huge source of influence. But they are starting to realize there's an even bigger world out there outside the home. And then I'll add an extra category here of environmental changes, just namely school. If they're not homeschooled, if they're going to be going out to school, that's a huge change taking place in these years. They're now going to be spending a significant amount of their waking hours outside the home, outside the oversight of mom and dad. That presents a great opportunity for testing, but also a trial. How will they respond when you're not around them to discipline them and correct them? You'll want to be prepared for that and shepherd them accordingly. Let's talk about changes in your training objectives during this stage. Second category, changes in your training objectives during this stage. We're going to say, hopefully, you have succeeded to establish parental authority by now. And hopefully, it's starting to yield that fruit of just honor and obedience, generally speaking, from your children. Like Titus 1.6 says of elders, hopefully it can be said of you as well that your children cannot be accused of dissipation or rebellion. They're not totally wild and crazy. They still sin. They still disobey. But they will be generally honorable and obedient to you. But shepherding them now in this stage as they get older is no longer so simple. There's a type of comfort or, or ease in parenting a toddler because you can't communicate with them verbally very much. And so therefore, you can't effectively reach deep into their hearts. I mean, you can try, but you're just not going to get very far because of their lack of understanding. And so you content yourself with just basic instruction and discipline just to establish authority and train them in obedience. And in a sense, that's easy. That, that's not that hard. Just do the right things over and over again, and you'll get there. But as they age... That no longer cuts it. It starts getting much more difficult because we have to get beyond merely dealing with their outward behavior. We have to go back to our mission of biblical parenting, which reminds us that we're not just trying to reach their behavior and make them good-looking kids. We're trying to reach their hearts, which is very difficult work. That's challenging. We're trying to glorify God by being faithful to raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord we added that phrase, directed at the heart. And as children enter these childhood years, you would say that you might say the target of our parenting changes. But then again, we wouldn't say that our target has always been their hearts. It's just that now that the target comes in range of our arrows, we can now finally really start 
reaching their hearts and shepherding their hearts because we can communicate. We can use words now to draw out the thoughts and intentions of their hearts and to shepherd them. So while your main objective up to this point has been to train them in obedience, now in childhood your main objective really becomes to shepherd their hearts, to reach them at the heart level. Hopefully these wild stallions have been broken and their general rebellion and defiance has given way to general obedience and compliance. But that does not mean your work is done. Because under the surface, they still have a sinful heart. That will come up and show itself now in more subtle and advanced ways. Which means it's time for you to respond by showing them not just their outward problem of disobedience, but their inner problem of sin. Now is a time to transition from a focus on their behavior to a focus on the heart that generated that behavior, that they might be convicted that their sin problem runs deeper than they thought. Even though they're growing in obedience, they still can't be good enough because sin resides within them, but you will respond by equipping them to identify and root out sin in the heart. But beyond that, this is also when you start really ramping up, applying the ultimate solution of the gospel to their inner heart problem. They don't just have a behavior problem. They have a a heart problem that they can't ultimately change. Only the Lord can. This is when you're really going to expose them to the truth. And hopefully that the soil is tilled and fresh, ready to receive such instruction and correction. In addition, though, one thing we can add here, in addition to a focus on shepherding their hearts, another major objective during this childhood stage is imparting wisdom. Imparting wisdom. Hopefully, in early childhood, zero to five, you've used discipline to push foolishness out of their hearts. But we don't want to leave them empty. We want to pull wisdom into their hearts. And you do this zero to five, but yeah, six through 12, we're obviously going to ramp up trying to impart God's wisdom into them. They're going to experience more and more life away from their parents, where we're not always around to direct them, instruct them, protect them, correct them. They're going to have to make some of their own choices, even if little tiny choices here and there, but we want already God's wisdom residing in their hearts that they might do well. Now, we already looked at a lot of those uh, proverbs that talk about imparting wisdom to their hearts, so we'll, we'll save those for another time. Really, we already covered them. As a quick caveat here, tonight's lesson is not really a Bible study, I'm not diving deep in Scripture explicitly, but really trying to apply all the Bible study we've already established in previous lessons. These last two lessons are more of the practical outworking of what we've covered and applying what we've learned about biblical parenting to the different stages. It's just a, a caveat. But now we want to talk about changes in your parenting tasks during this stage. Changes in your parenting tasks during this stage. Again, not so much that your tasks change. We're still going to pick on the same two, discipline and instruction. But how those evolve, how those look like, or what those look like, how you implement them, that will change. Let's start with instruction. Again, just giving you a a brief taste here, but you're you're still going to be instructing them about God and his word. You're still going to be reading them the Bible, taking them through the Bible. Now that they can read, they will likewise be reading the Bible. And 
You still want to fill them with the knowledge of God and his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, like Colossians 1.9 says. Hopefully they're going to start making leaps and bounds in their knowledge just of the scriptures, get a, a handle on the Bible. But one big area of instruction to focus on the stage would be the conscience. The conscience. The conscience is the mechanism God built within us to convict us of sin and wrongdoing. It's addressed, for example, in Romans 2, 14 through 15, which says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these, not having the law, are a law to themselves, and that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. Think about the conscience. It it comes pre-programmed with some of the basics of God's universal moral law, but it can be warped. And for it to continue to function properly, it needs to be informed, needs to be calibrated. And that comes, of course, through Scripture. This is a time with your children where you're really ready to build into them a firm and deep understanding of what God expects, right and wrong. Not as the culture defines it, but as God defines it through his word. As they age into teens, especially, they're going to be confronted with the culture that now radically redefines right and wrong in many ways. But at this stage, informing their conscience, instructing their conscience, that will help protect against this. More importantly, though, a well-informed conscience is key to producing conviction and helping them see their own sin, to be sensitive to their own sin problem. This is what will keep them sensitive to their sins and establish the need for the gospel. And speaking of the gospel, your instruction, because we're talking here about what instruction looks like in this childhood age, your instruction is also going to now really focus on, you're still doing repetition time and time again, but it's going to really focus on the gospel. That foundation you laid of just who is God? Who is man? What is sin? Who is Jesus? What did he do? You laid that foundation zero to five, I trust. Now you're going to do it all over again, but take each one a little bit deeper, connect the dots, explain this message, this life-giving, life-transforming message of the gospel. That is God's power of salvation to everyone who believes. You're going to really sow that seed deep, and you're going to sow it over and over again. In this stage, repetition is still the key, but you're going to be building them the gospel. Overall, though, your instruction in this stage One also change here we would say is is the manner of your instruction. It's no longer just one-way communication. It's time to start asking questions to instruct through dialogue. As you fill them up with the knowledge of God's word, a lot of it just leaks right out. But you can ask them questions, see what they have retained. What are they understanding? What are they not understanding? What have they learned? Gauge their understanding then you will be able to respond accordingly and and give them even more instruction, help, knowledge. This is all day by day as we learn back in Deuteronomy 6. As you walk by the the way, as you lie down, as you rise up, just as you live life together, you're continually instructing them, helping them to know God, the world he's made, and themselves in it. Let's talk discipline now. How does discipline change shape? Children at this age still need correction. Ephesians 6, 4 doesn't change. We're still called to, they're under our authority, to raise them up in the discipline of the Lord. 
what that looks like may evolve. Like I said before, I, I do believe the rod in the book of Proverbs was intended for, for younger children. With elementary children, there's still definitely a time and a place for corporal punishment or spanking. And the requirements are the same, namely rebellion, defiance, disobedience. But I will say, if you've been faithful to discipline regularly during the early childhood years, you're going to find that the occasions for spanking become fewer and fewer. That outright, self-willed, hardcore defiance hopefully has been largely conquered. As their minds come fully online, you're going to start giving them more and more verbal correction. This was back in Lessons 5, but the, the word for correction and, or discipline in uh, Ephesians 6.4 originally what had the form of a, a verbal correction. It later gave way to more of a corporal punishment, but we correct with words, oftentimes more than with actions. You should eventually start seeing the fruit of general obedience from your kids. You tell them what to do and they obey you right away without dishonor. But like we said, that doesn't mean they're free from sin. Just because they've learned that high-handed rebellion doesn't get them anywhere, that doesn't mean sin no longer rules their heart. You're going to see subtle, heart-level sins still under the surface, just like us, and these still need to be met with correction and shepherding. And so when these deeper sins start to come out, these heart-level sins like greed or covetousness, where they're not breaking a law per se, but you see something come out that's a heart-level sin, you'll need to respond. You'll need to correct and discipline. Sometimes that might still merit a spanking or a corporal punishment, but other times they can now be reasoned with. And sometimes such correction will take the form of parental rebuke. And I'll tell you what, if you have done well to establish your authority, and at the same time your love, your care, and your affection for them, the sting of parental rebuke can be quite strong and effective where all you need to, to really show them their fault is a, a strong, loving, but, but significant parental rebuke. Again, don't forget, the whole purpose of all of our discipline is not just punishment. We're not just trying to do something against them, but something for them. That's always the goal of all of our discipline. We're trying to, to correct them. And with spanking, you are correcting their behavior. But really, how do we now, as our goal has gone deeper from behavior to the heart, how do we really help them see their heart and the heart behind their behavior? That happens with words. You, you can't spank that knowledge into someone. We have to have a conversation. You might accompany a spank oftentimes, but you're going to have to start talking to them and communicating with them, instructing in your correction. Our oldest child, for example, is about to turn nine, and I don't think we've spanked her in years. We just haven't had the need to. She's incredibly obedient and compliant. She doesn't make excuses. She doesn't grumble. But she's far from sinless. She can be quite selfish, just like us adults. When you see that come out, though, you could apply the rod of discipline. That will be up to your careful discernment as you parent your children and if you see defiance in that. But this, this is time to grow in using your words to convict them, to correct them of sin, just like you would with a fellow believer, for example. You would use your words to convict them and, and correct them of their sin. You have, with your children, you're starting to, and you have informed their conscience. 
Now's the time to start appealing to their conscience. See if they will convict themselves and correct themselves. This is time to help them see their own sinful heart desires. Learn what it means to rebuke, which is what us adults need when we sin and how we can start to apply that, again, graciously but firmly to children as well. So as one quick example, you know, the uh, other night, not too long ago, our kids were playing with magnet tiles, which is like the best toy ever. Just they could play with magnet tiles forever. If you don't know what magnet tiles are, when you become a parent, you will. But they were playing nicely until they realized that the limited supply we have had not been evenly divided. And one child had more than the other. In fact, one child at the beginning had secretly hoarded most of the tiles for herself. Now, technically, this child did not disobey us. We've not made any, we don't have like a a list of a million house rules, very few. And so there's no rule that says you must 50-50 divide the magnet tiles before you play with them. We, We trust them to do that on their own and see what happens. So this child broke no rules. They've not disobeyed, but a heart of selfishness clearly surfaced in this incident. Now, you could just bark some orders at the child, say, you just yell at them and say, hey, split 50-50, give half, you know, make sure it's even, and just be done with it and end this little conflict. You could do that. But that leaves that heart of selfishness that generated that conflict unaddressed. That would be a missed opportunity. Better, though, through a series of pointed questions and instruction to draw out the selfish desires of their heart. Help them see for themselves that the reason they hoarded those tiles was because they were only thinking about themselves. They had no regard for their siblings. See if they might be convicted in that conscience that you've informed and decide on their own that the right thing to do is to share some of those tiles, that they can convict and correct themselves. If if they don't get it, a more direct verbal rebuke may be in order. If you see defiance, a spank might be in order. But you get the point I'm making, though. This is a time to, to move beyond in your discipline, your correction, to, to start using uh, scripture and, and words and gospel truth to reach them, to correct them. These are the types of shepherding conversations and moments of correction you need to start having in this stage. You know, one day, there'll be a young adult. You're not going to take them out and spank them if they did something wrong. You're only going to have your words to reach them. This is a time to start establishing those relationships and using the power of, of scripture and correction. Now, before we uh, finish up, there were two questions that came in, I think, related to this age. Well, three, but we're only going to get to two. Let's cover these right now real quick. Since, uh, like I mentioned, you could send in a few questions. A few of you did. There were two that addressed this 6 to 12-year-old range, more or less. So let's include them here. One question What if you're behind the curve and have not been implementing biblical parenting with your kids up until now? Meaning like, maybe you just got saved or you never really, no one ever taught you this. You just default parented how you were parented. It turns out that wasn't biblical and now your kids are already in this elementary age. You have not been doing it up till now. What do you do? If you feel it's too late, don't. God is in the business of taking that which is crooked and making it straight. By his grace, You can change. Your kids can change. If you're realizing this, by his grace, you already have changed. Your kids can change as well. And speaking of grace, before you get too upset with your children that they're not already perfectly obedient, you're going to have to just deal with this whole situation with grace 
showing them grace. You yourself as the parent perhaps have fallen short. God is gracious with you. You need to be gracious with them. A grace-filled attitude needs to pervade the changes you're about to make. But you're going to need to jumpstart some things. You'll jumpstart instruction. You're going to get them up to speed on the things of God. And the hidden benefit here is you're dealing with a little bit of older kids. Well, they can understand more. They can perhaps read. They can get up to speed a lot quicker than a three-year-old. So it's not all bad. Establish before them the authority of Scripture. And then from Scripture's authority, you can now establish that uh, God-given authority as parent. You need to reestablish or really establish your authority as their parent. Perhaps you've never done that. And from the Scriptures, you can now start to do that, showing them how it's not just because mom and dad say so. It's how God the Creator expects them to obey mom and dad for their good. You're going to show that to them and establish, maybe for the first time, that parental authority for their own good. And as you reestablish your authority, you're going to lay down new expectations for their behavior. In a sense, they kind of need to know, like, there's a new sheriff in town, and you're not going to tolerate what you have been tolerating, their rebellion, their disobedience, like you used to. And then, of course, that means, though, you're going to have to start consistently disciplining them for their rebellion and disobedience and prepare for perhaps a year or two years of just that intense discipline that that we will be training them and correcting their behavior through the rod. Now, I told you we're using a little inspiration from Shepherding a Child's Heart this evening. He actually addresses this very question in greater detail. So for what it's worth, if you got the book, page 158, where it's at, he gives a a great longer version answer. I'm just going to run you through the seven steps he addresses and what do you do if you feel like you're behind the curve? How do you how do you have that conversation with your kids to like reset things? The short version, he lists seven, I think a lot of wisdom in these seven steps. Just real quick, he says, one, sit down with your children and explain your new insights. Own what you have done wrong in raising them. And it starts with a conversation. Two, seek their forgiveness for your failures as a parent. You're going to show them humility, wanting them to respond in like kind. Three, give your children clear biblical instruction about the importance of being a person under authority. Now show them blessing of obedience or blessing for obedience and cursing for disobedience. So you're redrawing the lines of the parent-child relationship. Four, give them specific direction about what changes you think are needed in their behavior, attitudes, and so forth. Discuss, reason, help them see it's for their good. It's better to obey. Five, Determine how you will respond to obedience, or rather, disobedience in the future. Be sure they understand how you will respond. You're now kind of laying down the new law, like you will start to discipline for this, this, and this. And you're going to show them what you expect of their behavior. So that now they know they cannot claim ignorance or excuse. You've let it be known. And if they disobey, it will be dealt with as you're going to start training them. Number six, practice what you preach. Changes in parenting must reflect changes in parents. Let them see a change in your behavior, too. Perhaps the biggest thing you can do is to show them how much mom and dad have changed because they've drawn near to this Jesus figure. Let them see a change in in your whole life and let that trickle down as they witness the power of the gospel in your lives as parents. Let them be impacted by that and join you for this. Number seven, he says, whatever you do will require patience. Indeed, it will. Prepare for the long haul. Going back to the mission, it's just to be faithful. 
So even if you're behind the curve, it doesn't change the mission. It's just you're just starting now to be faithful to raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We trust God for the results. You just get to being faithful, and God is pleased in that. You can thank his grace, trust his grace, show grace. He will carry you through. Last question here before we need to finish. Uh, a second question came in. Do we allow our children to appeal our commands at this age? If so, what does that process look like? You know, can we accept appeals? We tell them to do something. We said earlier, zero to five, we expect them to obey first time, every time, happy heart. What if, as they get older, they, they don't want to obey, but they think they have a good reason? Do we accept an appeal or not? Do we allow them to appeal and like plead their case or not? Well, look, for us adults, we all have some authority figure over us in life. And we very much appreciate the ability to appeal to them to do things differently when we think they're wrong or unreasonable or just misguided. It's a blessing when they listen to our appeals, whether they give it to us or not. We very much like the chance to appeal to our authorities. I mean, did not God let Abraham appeal to his decision to smite Sodom and Gomorrah many times? He let him appeal to teach him something. You know, we're not trying to run completely roughshod over our children's wants and desires. We love them. We want them to be happy, to be blessed, to be pleased. We're trying to do what we think is good and right and best. Uh, But if they take issue with how we exercise our will over theirs in this stage, which is for their good, it's not wrong to allow them to appeal. In fact, it's, I think it's a very good thing. It counteracts exasperation, but it has to be done the right way. Their appeal process cannot turn into really just an excuse for, dis- an excuse for obedience or delayed obedience. You can't get to the point where you have to basically convince them that you're right before they do what you say. You don't go there with this. They need to be ready to obey whatever you say. Whether you grant the appeal or not, they need to be ready to comply no matter what. They have to have that heart or that spirit. Whether you give a sufficient explanation or not, you don't want to get to this point where you have to convince them of everything. That's a form of dishonor. But you can teach them how to appeal in a respectful manner where they express that they're ready to obey either way. But as they get older, they're going to be growing in responsibility, and you want to entrust them with more decisions over their life. You want them to be making more and more decisions over their life to prepare them, to shepherd them. Giving them the ability to appeal in this elementary stage prepares them for that. They don't have the ability to make all of their own decisions by themselves, but they can start to appeal according to their will. You can let them plead their case. What, what, why don't you want to go to bed at nine o'clock? Like I said, do you have a reason? Let's hear what you say. But anyways, it's giving you the opportunity to shepherd them through the reasons for your decisions if need be. And if you deny their appeal, you can also lovingly shepherd them through why you think their decision may have been unhelpful or foolish. You're getting a chance to see their reasoning, how they would make decisions based on what they say. That's an opportunity to respond, to train, to teach them how to make wise decisions. Sometimes grant the appeal. Let them have a little freedom to see what it's like. Sometimes even letting them stumble a little bit. Nonetheless, there's great opportunity here to not be afraid of. So I would say this is a great way to keep keep them from being totally exasperated under your will. Grant them appeal as they get older. 
and use it as a shepherding opportunity. There's one more question I wanted to tackle here, but I think our time is up. That question had to do with discerning the salvation of your children. And if they've made a profession of faith, when do you baptize them? How do you discern if they're saved? They're getting older. They, they say they believe. How do you know if it's true? And then when do you baptize them? Get that question a lot. We'll answer that question next week for our final lesson. You may have also noticed that we did not address the teenage years at all in this lesson. It was always my intention from the beginning of this series to save, I think, the final lesson for exclusively for parenting teens. So next week, we'll answer a few questions, but we'll also come back and exclusively talk about how we parent these different stages of childhood, but we've saved the teenage stage for last. And so last chance, if you want to email me this week, any, I guess, teen-related questions, your last chance to do that. We'll come back next week and finish that up. And for now, let us close with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we we just pray for our children before you this evening. For those of of us here who are parents, who have children, or or grandparents even, we love our children. We we see this great blessing, this gift you've given to us, the gift of life. It's not ours. They're not our children. They're yours. We are merely stewards of them for a short time. But as we, all that we've learned this evening, I, I pray you just help us be faithful as we implement it in whatever stage of life we're in. Whether we've been faithful or not, all of us to some degree have fallen short. But just inspire us this evening forward to, to be faithful, to, to excel still more, to get up and, and keep pursuing Christ in our parenting. There's a lot in here, but you are, your grace is sufficient for us. We thank you that, that you always deal with us graciously. May we just use that to to be responsible, to excel in all that you've called us to do. We pray for our children. We do pray for their salvation. And we know that's the greatest gift you can give to any parent. Your will be done. May we be faithful to do our part to to shepherd them and show them Christ the Savior, that they too may, may know the life that we have. We entrust them to your hands. We entrust ourselves to your hands. Be with us as we seek to parent your way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.